You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life, with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 27th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. Today, I want to talk with you about empowered leadership. I was teaching a choice theory training a couple weeks ago when a participant asked me about the golden mean and how it related to choice theory leadership. I had to admit, I had no idea because I didn't know what the golden mean was. Gratefully, he printed off the internet information about it for me to read, and I definitely see the parallels. The golden mean comes from the Doric saying carved in the temple of Delphi, nothing in excess. Aristotle reintroduced it while talking about virtues, the idea being that there are virtues, but too much or too little of them could be bad. Balance is the key. Find the proper balance point on the continuum of the virtue. This is definitely true of choice theory leadership. There is a virtue of good leadership that is the balance of two extremes, dictatorial leadership and laissez-faire leadership. Empowered leadership is the golden mean between these two extremes. The dictatorial leader represents the attitude, my way or the highway. They are focused on the job to be done and have little compassion or interest in the people who are doing the job. Their thought is there's plenty of people looking for jobs and workers are easily replaced. I usually use the comparison of Aesop's fable of the goose that laid the golden eggs. The farmer in that story was so interested in riches and greed that he slit the goose open to get all the eggs and consequently killed the goose. No more eggs. I look at dictatorial leaders in this way. They work their employees so hard they are killing them and won't gain the riches they are striving for. Dictatorial leaders don't seek input from their employees and instead tell them what to do without taking time to discuss what these changes mean or how they will actually be accomplished. These leaders will never capture the hearts and minds of their employees since those employees are scared, worried about the security of their position, and will only complete as much work as they need to to stay under the radar of the leader. The laissez-faire leader is more focused on either relationship with their employers or on the laissez-faire leader is more focused on either their relationship with their employees or on the relationship they have with themselves. The former is a leader who wants everyone to get along, like him or her, and eliminate conflict in the workplace. They'll bend over backwards to help their workers get what they need, often sacrificing quality, production, and creating favorites. The latter is never available, typically out of the office doing things they believe they deserve, such as golfing, fine dining, or sailing on their boat. When their workers need them, they're nowhere in sight. These leaders won't engender the respect of his workers because he's never around and he's expecting his people to work three and four times as hard as he does. The first kind of laissez-faire leader who's concerned about relationships is usually the doormat that allows their people to walk all over them. Initially, workers think they have died and gone to heaven with such an understanding boss, but then they realize that little work gets done and the leader will allow things that shouldn't be permitted. I liken this type of leadership to the untended garden. When you're attempting to grow a garden or a business, you need to pull the weeds or confront the bad habits from time to time. A laissez-faire leader neglects the weeds because they don't like confrontation and allow the weeds or poor behaviors to overtake the garden or business. 
Just like the golden mean, the proper balance depends on several factors. In the case of leadership, there are three and sometimes four things to consider. But first, let's talk about what these two opposites are balancing. The dictatorial leaders mainly prioritize what their needs are, while the laissez-faire managers prioritize the needs of their employees above their own. The empowered leader understands that there needs to be an environment where everyone, themselves, employees, and even customers, can get their needs met. The dictatorial leader is constantly pushing their employees to do more, challenging them to produce. The laissez-faire leader is better at supporting employees and often goes to the extreme of making excuses for why they can't get the work done. The final balance point has to do with the values of the leader. Dictatorial leaders value the tasks, the work to be done, better, faster, and more economically, while laissez-faire leaders are focused on their employees and doing whatever they can to get along better, relate better with them. There is no discrete point on the continuum that represents empowered leadership, but rather there is a range in the middle that represents acceptable territory to operate in, given what is happening with each of the three factors mentioned the first is about what the leader's highest or most frustrated need is. There are five basic needs, safety, connection, significance, freedom, and joy. Which one is genetically your highest will have you leaning towards the dictatorial or the laissez-faire end of the continuum. If you're high in safety, you're concerned about survival, safety, and security. You're a spender, not a saver, a worrier, not a risk taker. You make plans for the what-ifs in life and thrive best in a structured environment. You like rules and prioritize safety. You will also be concerned about your physical health and the health of those you care about. This type of leader tends to lean towards the dictatorial end of the leadership continuum. Because being safe and secure is the priority, you are big on enforcing the rules and having structure. You operate inside the box to maintain the status quo. You can often be heard saying, why do we do that? Because that's how we've always done it. Or, because that's the safest way with the least amount of risk. If you're a high connection person, you prioritize people and your relationship with them. You don't like conflict and will go out of your way to avoid it unless you notice it between others. When you do, you tend to jump in to try to mediate the conflict so it will go away. When you're a connection person, you want people to like you and you want your people to get along. This means you will lead towards the laissez-faire end of the leadership continuum. You avoid hard conversations, particularly when discipline is an issue or you fear disapproval. Because relationships are your priority, you don't want to have expectations of others. Instead, you allow your people to do their own thing, which often hurts productivity or services. Should you be a high-significance person, power is important to you. You like being in charge and having the last word. You want respect from people and can sometimes confuse respect with fear. Unless you've learned to share power with your workers or know how to create power within yourself, you will spend your efforts to obtain power by powering over the people who work for you. Because power is your priority, you tend to gravitate towards a dictatorial leadership style. You want to have an impact, make a difference, and be significant. For this reason, you are best at accountability and getting as much compliance as you can from your employees. When you're a high freedom person, you like to do what you want when you want without restriction. Your freedom is quite important to you and you are particularly frustrated whenever you believe your freedom is being restricted. 
It's for these reasons that you tend to lean towards the laissez-faire end of the leadership continuum. You don't like being micromanaged by anyone above you, and conversely, you don't want to be tied down micromanaging your employees either. When you are a high-freedom person, you like having lots of choices, functioning independently, and having time to yourself. Should you be a person high in joy, you are constantly looking for those peak moments in life. These moments may be different for different people. Some like peak moments of activities that could be classified as play or enjoyment. Others like peak moments of relaxation and pampering, while others like peak moments of discovery learning. If you are someone searching for peak moments, you likely lean in the direction of laissez-faire leadership. You're focused on either having the moments or creating those moments for you and your employees. Either way, you may be absent from the productivity side of your business. If discovery learning is your jam, you may find yourself bringing in so many training experiences that your employees talk about flavor of the month learning. You don't seem to pick a lane and stick to it, but rather are busy learning for the sake of learning without considering how it fits in your overall strategy. As an empowered leader, you need to recognize the direction you naturally lean and either focus on improving the area that isn't your strength or find an assistant that excels in the areas you don't. This will improve your leadership exponentially. I have done both in my leadership. Knowing that my two highest needs are connection and freedom helps me identify my natural leaning to the laissez-faire side of the continuum. I realize this is not an effective leadership style, so I've worked at getting better at assertiveness, holding my people accountable, and focusing more on the tasks to be completed. I also tend to hire people to work with me who are also strong in those areas. There's another leadership style you could label passive-aggressive or confused. It's the person you don't understand well because one day they are laissez-faire and the next a dictatorial leader. The change can happen within the same day or even the same hour. It seems as soon as a laissez-faire leader believes they're being taken advantage of by their people or they aren't meeting their quotas, the dictator appears. Conversely, when the dictator starts to believe their people are talking about them behind their backs, they tend to become laissez-faire to gain the trust of their people to learn the cause of the discontent. People tend to walk on eggshells around this type of leader because they never know who they are going to get from one minute to the next. This is one of the factors to consider when deciding where you need to be on the continuum of the empowered leader. Empowered leaders can occupy a range along the continuum in the middle between dictatorial and laissez-faire leadership. Again, the empowered leader is not represented by a discrete point on the continuum, but rather a range that the leader functions within based on basically three factors. The need of the leader is the first factor. When you're operating in the empowered leadership range, your needs are being met. You're aware of what they are, and you're attending to what you need at all times. It's important. The second factor has to do with the needs of your people. Employees with a higher need for freedom, connection, and joy tend to prefer empowered leadership leaning more to the laissez-faire side of the continuum. For workers who are high safety and security or significance, they prefer a leader toward the dictator side of the empowered leadership range. The safety and security people are looking for structure, and the significance people are looking for accomplishments and for decisions to be made. Wherever you're functioning in the empowered leadership range, 
you need to attend to the needs of your workers and create an environment where they're able to get their needs met in that work environment if they choose to, and so can you. It's a place and space where anyone in it can be safe, connected, significant, free, and joyful. And the empowered leader has a lot to do with creating that need-satisfying environment. An empowered leader is also aware of the needs of each of his or her employees so that he can match his style with the person that he's talking with. An empowered leader is not the same with every person they manage. The third factor is about context. Every context is different and may require a different style to manage the best way. For example, should your people come to you asking to have a staff summer picnic, it's likely not something you need to lead. In fact, you can lean into your laissez-faire side on the picnic, just giving some guidelines regarding budget and basic rules, such as the serving of alcohol. As long as the basic requirements are met, your needs will be met and so will the employees. However, if there's a threat to your success, it feels like your organization is at risk, such as an unexpected outside inspection. You may need to lean into your dictatorial tendencies within the empowered leader range to make sure all the work gets done within the necessary time frame. You don't want to hurt people or frustrate their needs, and in every case possible, you don't. But it may become necessary to cancel someone's personal time to make sure they get the work done for the inspection. Whenever an empowered leader does something that potentially frustrates a person's ability to get their needs met, they will apologize, explain why there's no other option, and stay firm on their decision. If the decision isn't imminent for safety reasons, the empowered leaders listen to his staff for input and suggestions. There are three things empowered leaders know they are responsible for in the workplace. The first is creating a need-satisfying environment for everyone in that space, including themselves. This will be the subject of a later podcast in two weeks' time. The second thing is being able to explain the usefulness of what their people are being asked to do. The usefulness is best explained with information about the WIIFM, which stands for What's In It For Me. Use this WIIFM language so people can understand their personal benefit for compliance. Because empowered leadership is based on internal motivation, WIIFM works best if the reward is intrinsic instead of extrinsic. People are motivated at work, as long as they have enough money to live, by things like how they are contributing to the whole, to the mission and vision, for having a purpose, that is what motivates today's workers. If you, as the leader, are unable to articulate the WIIFM, then you may want to rethink asking your people to do something that makes no sense to them. Take the time to consider what might motivate them and frame your request in the way that makes the most sense to your workers. In rare instances, you may not understand the why of the request yourself. When this happens, you need to dig deeper take things up the ladder to the source to find out the reason for its request. You may learn there's a person at the top who's interested in maintaining the status quo and would respond with, we need to do it this way because it's always been done this way. That answer isn't good enough to motivate the masses. Sometimes it's a new bureaucratic regulation that makes sense to someone buried deep in the government somewhere, but it doesn't translate to anything meaningful in the real world. 
When this happens, empowered leaders will ask their employees to do it for the good of the company so they don't get any governmental or regulatory citations. If that doesn't happen regularly, most people will willingly comply. However, when you are frequently asking your workers to do things that make no sense, at some point, they're going to rebel. The final component that distinguishes empowered leadership from dictatorial or laissez-faire leadership is self-evaluation. Dictatorial leaders do the evaluating themselves or hire people to do it for them. The laissez-faire leader tends to do little or no evaluating at all, while the empowered leader teaches and encourages self-evaluation. Some people hear the term self-evaluation and think it doesn't matter what the workers do, since they're responsible for evaluating their own work. This is just ridiculous, because they will do nothing or just enough to get by and say they've done their job. While it's true this will happen with the laissez-faire leader, it won't tend to happen with an empowered leader. There are some important qualifications that need to be in place. When you're a leader and you want to implement self-evaluation with your people, you will need them to be honest and accurate in their assessment so it will be valuable to you. Honest means the person gives you an honest assessment of how they believe they're doing with their job. How do you ensure honesty? You can't. But you can create an environment where your people are more likely to honestly assess themselves. You do that by committing to creating the need-satisfying environment and making sure you don't hurt people with the honest information they provide. When you advance a system of self-evaluation, every individual needs to know the only purpose for self-evaluation is for you, the leader, to know how you can support them to get better and do better to further support the mission and vision of the company. If your employee thinks you're going to hurt them for telling the truth, why would they be honest with you? Your people need to know that when you've identified a problem, you'll do whatever is in your power to help them improve with help, resources, training, or even rolling up your sleeves to contribute. You are not completely in charge of whether your people trust you. You can create the most need-satisfying environment possible, and a person who is operating within it who has trust issues may still not be honest with you no matter what you do. Imagine their last employer hurt them with any honest evaluations they made. No matter how trustworthy and helpful you are, they still may not trust you. This is not your fault or your responsibility. You are accountable for creating the environment. Your people are responsible for the actions they take once you do. I define accurate self-evaluation as an evaluation that would mostly be agreed upon between you and your employee, so you're seeing similar things. The only way I know to get accurate self-evaluation is to discuss the standards of quality in advance. It's always best for you and the employees to come up with these standards together, but there are times when that is impossible. Perhaps you and your staff did that work two years ago and now someone new has come into the system. They will be expected to adhere to the standards developed by the people two years ago. This is reasonable, but perhaps you will want to visit standards every few years as jobs and expectations change. If you're running into resistance with something you're asking your people to do, it is good to do your own self-evaluation. Ask yourself about the need-satisfying environment you create. Can you and your employees all get their needs met for safety and security, connection, significance, freedom, and joy in the workplace? Are you asking them to do things they find useful? Are you helping them to see what's in it for them?
Finally, are you modeling good self-evaluation and asking your people to evaluate themselves in a supportive learning and growing environment? If you have, know that you are doing a great job. If you are still running into resistance, I'd like you to consider four questions. It's typical to jump to the fourth one without first considering the first three, but you'll be surprised to learn that resistance is more often because of one of the first three things than the fourth. Number one, do your people know what to do? Sometimes you think you've told them, and you may have, but perhaps they didn't hear you or they didn't understand you. This happens a lot with communication, so please check this assumption first. Do your people know what to do? Number two, do your people know how to do it? Sometimes people have been told what they need to do and they understand what you're asking. But if someone told me I needed to change the oil on my car, I certainly know what that means. However, I would be at a loss for how to do it. This happens often in the workplace. Either your employees don't want to ask clarifying questions to understand how to do what you're asking. They thought they knew how, but once they got started, realized they didn't and didn't want you to know of their shortcomings. Or it's at least possible you have created an environment where people are just expected to know how to do certain things. It's best if you check to see if they know how to do something before you send them off to do it. If they don't know how, then training, mentoring, or you demonstrating how to do what you're asking of them should be the next step. Number three. The third question is, does the environment support what you're asking for? I remember when HIPAA was first introduced. I was working at a specialized foster care agency. There were several new forms we had to complete and were told we needed to do it with the number of kids on our caseload without working overtime. It was an impossible task. The system didn't support what we were being asked to do. When you encounter resistance and your people know what and how to do what you're asking, check next to see if the environment supports what you're asking them to do. Number four. The final thing to check is, does the person want to do what you're asking? Sometimes people know what to do, how to do it, and the system sets up no barriers, but yet the person just doesn't want to do it. It's easy to label this as insubordination, but it's important for you to also self-evaluate whether you've sufficiently explained the what's in it for me to the person. They may not want to do it because they haven't been sufficiently briefed about the benefits to them of doing what you ask. If this is the case, then be sure to provide that information. If the person's aware and just doesn't want to do it, then it's time to have the conversation about whether the person is happy with their job and you may need to ask the person to transfer to a different position or leave the company entirely. Being an empowered leader does not mean you'll never have to let someone go. But before you do so, you will do all in your power to work things out without compromising what you need from the situation. If you're interested in learning more about empowered leadership, I have a Kindle version on Amazon.com called Empowered Leadership. Check it out. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you'll join me next week when I'll be discussing coaching rather than managing your direct reports. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz 
forward slash podcast. And remember to subscribe.